This is hour number three here on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network, where we talk about the news of the week, the events of my often bizarre life, and where we provide you with a three-hour oasis of honesty and rationality in the desert of insanity and deceit, which is the American media, cultural, and political landscape, especially in the era, the post-truth era of Donald Trump. Uh, all sorts of things to get to in hour number three, including some more Trump news. And, you know, speaking of Trump news, it's amazing to me just how incredibly short our attention spans are. I mean, they are dangerously short, and it is absolutely one of the primary reasons why Donald Trump was able to manipulate this system to become president of the United States. I mean, it, it shouldn't be shocking that a nation with an incredibly short attention span has elected a man with a notoriously, dangerously tiny attention span. In fact, that's one of the things that Saturday Night Live was making fun of him for. In fact, one of the few funny things they were making fun of him for on last night's skit that got Trump so upset that he tweeted about it. And then Alec Baldwin taunted him by saying, hey, release your tax returns and I will stop doing my impression of you, which, of course, was met with silence and will be met with silence because Trump's a fraud, especially on that issue. And there's absolutely Mitt Romney was right. He's absolutely hiding something and he's lying to you. He's lying to you about why he will not release his taxes. And the fact that he got away with it is just amazing. But I'm just it's just it's it's just absolutely uh, flabbergasting that he was able to get away with that. I love the poorly educated. Anyway, speaking of this short attention span. So on Friday night, we learn that Donald Trump, president-elect of the United States of America, had a phone call with the president of Taiwan. <gasps> oh, my God. Now, there is good reason why a lot of people especially in the news media, went, oh, my God. Because a president of the United States has not spoken to the leader of Taiwan since 1979 when we broke off diplomatic relations because of the so-called One China policy where we respect China's view that there is only one China and that Taiwan is not its own separate entity, even though it really is but we don't like to piss off China because we owe them like trillions of dollars. So the reality is that Trump, now we weren't sure at first, did he do this on purpose? Did they call him? Did he call them? Was this a mistake? Is this a new policy? What's going on here? We still don't know for sure, but the story has already dissipated. I mean, it was huge Friday night. It was... It was breaking news on CNN. It was the number one trending item on Twitter. And then Saturday morning's college football starts and nothing. It's forgotten. Trump tweeted out that Taiwan called him and that therefore, I guess, this was no harm, no foul, which I found to be laughable. I guess it's slightly better if Taiwan called him. Uh, But see, here's the thing. If you follow this logically, and I realize that logic doesn't have a whole lot of uh, 
importance in a post-truth Donald Trump world. But okay, if they called him, then it's not a change in policy, right? I mean, if we called them, you could argue Trump's going to change the policy. You, you can agree or disagree with that, but at least it's not flat-out incompetence. It's not just a situation, you know, where, where he has no idea what he's doing. He's making it up as he goes and not. It's not that. If he called them. But if they called him and they somehow duped him into the conversation, how is this better? Like he has to take the call? What, what, on what basis does Trump have to take a call from Taiwan or anybody for that matter? So I, I don't understand how if the call was from Taiwan that this somehow gets them off the hook. Because the other thing is, apparently according to all accounts that have not been disputed by anybody, the substance of the call was highly inappropriate if we're going to keep the one China policy. And China had every reason to be very anxious about it. And by the way, Japan too, because it was obvious from the content that whether Trump realized it or not, he was creating new policy towards Taiwan. Now, I don't know what Trump really intended here. If he had made the phone call, and maybe he did, there there is some indications that he did, so maybe he's lying about Taiwan calling him because he thinks somehow that that makes it better from a PR standpoint, even though to a reasonable person it doesn't, but that eliminates Trump in a lot of ways. But I digress. Maybe he's lying. I'm almost hoping he's lying at this point. But if he's telling the truth and they called him and he for some reason decides to take the call and from a substantive standpoint, he he pisses all over the one China policy and clearly provokes China and didn't intend it to mean that he's going to create new policy towards Taiwan and China, then he's a complete incompetent. There's no other way to conclude as far as I can tell. So at this point, I think the best scenario is he's lying and trying to cover up for the fact that he's creating new policy, except there's a problem with that too. And that is he might be creating new policy because he's got business interests in Taiwan. Now, folks, I'm going to use this standard for as long as this show exists. If Barack Obama was doing this kind of thing under circumstances that seemed to be incompetent, that seemed to be in way over his head, especially after he'd just taken office the first time, hadn't been reelected. So this, you know, let's go back to 2008. If Barack Obama had suddenly had a conversation with Taiwan out of the blue, and oh, by the way, he had business interests in Taiwan, our side would be going bat crap crazy. And we would have every reason to be doing so. And the fact that we're not with Trump further exposes our hypocrisy and the fact that we are a bunch of frauds because we don't believe in principle. We don't believe in right and wrong. We don't believe in truth. We believe in the letter next to the guy's name. That's what we believe in, apparently. Believe me. It's pathetic. It's sad. And the most amazing thing is the story has disappeared. So we're probably never going to get an explanation. It's just amazing. 
a few years ago, back when we were somewhat substantive, I don't know, maybe 10, 20 years ago, if a president-elect did this with regard to China, this would be a week-long story. Instead, it barely survives an entire Friday night in December. It's just amazing. We got to get more onto more important things like whether or not Trump was upset with Saturday Night Live and whether or not it was appropriate for him to tweet out a promotion for a Fox News Channel rerun. That's the Trump world, folks. Oh, somebody make this stop, please. This is the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. Welcome back. My name is John Ziegler. You're listening to the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. Our website is www.freespeechbroadcasting.com. By the way, of course, you cannot talk about Donald Trump apparently suddenly shifting, maybe dramatically, well over 40 years, or almost 40 years, of, uh, of policy towards Taiwan and China with a phone call. Boy, that escalated quickly. Without discussing the fact that this all occurs within the context of the fact that Trump is currently running a reality show called his search for a secretary of state who presumably will be taking these kind of things off of his hands to a large degree once he's inaugurated, at least hopefully. And that's not an exaggeration when I describe what is going on as a reality TV show. I'm hardly the only one that has used that description. It is very appropriate. The number of names that are being thrown out there. I mean, it's very much, it's got a survivor feel, a bachelor, bachelorette feel. I mean, heck, Trump and Romney went on a second date this week. They went out to dinner and... One of the, really, I think maybe the photo of 2016. As far as I can think to my, off the top of my head, there's no photo that encapsulates the bizarro world year of 2016 better than Trump and Romney having dinner together in New York. Trump looking like the devil, Romney looking like the guy who was in the process of selling his soul and thinking to himself, how the hell did I ever get here? You got it. If you haven't seen it already, I mean, and the photo was everywhere on social media, but just Google Trump Romney dinner photo and, and you'll see all sorts of versions of it. Really hilarious and very telling stuff. This search for Secretary of State to me is obviously driven by the drama, ratings, reality TV aspect. And the way we know this is that not only are there far too many names in the mix, the names have nothing in common. 
I mean, I'm not suggesting that everybody that you're considering for probably the most important job that you'll appoint as president of the United States should be exactly alike. But these people have nothing in common. And some of these names are just off the wall. Dana Rohrbacher, a congressman from Orange County here in Southern California, who I've gotten to know a little bit. Nowhere near Secretary of State Timber. Not even close, not to mention the fact that he's awfully cozy with Russia. John Huntsman? Huh? That seems like a name that's just been tossed out this weekend to rub it in the nose of Mitt Romney because they've always had a a Mormon rivalry going on. I don't think Romney's going to get the job because I, I think that Trump has gotten as much enjoyment and as much mileage out of considering Romney, almost as much as he would get if he appointed Romney. And usually I have a rule that if something that shocking doesn't happen within the first couple of days of it being rumored, that better heads will prevail on both sides. I'm amazed it it hasn't happened officially yet. I, I can't believe Romney hasn't taken his name out of consideration. And I can't believe that Trump, fearing that Romney might do that, hasn't taken the opportunity to humiliate him by making it clear that he's he's off the list, that he's been tossed off the island. I also don't think Rudy's going to get it because I don't, I don't think there's any shock value to Rudy. Rudy has been campaigning for it, and I don't think Trump likes that because, you know, this is a reality TV show. You can't give away the ending. you got to have a climactic ending. And to have a really good ending to a reality show, there's got to be shock value. I don't know who that's going to be. There would it would have been shock value in Romney if it had occurred by this point, but I think that's kind of wearing off. And look, anybody trying to predict what Donald Trump's going to do, good luck to you. He has the mentality of a toddler deciding which toy he's going to play with. It, it's a crapshoot. It depends on which way the wind's blowing, which shiny, shiny object he sees last. But the idea that David Petraeus who's an, another hot name into the mix this weekend. And I like David Petraeus. I, I think David Petraeus is an American hero. But the idea that he would be considered strongly for Secretary of State when we just finished an entire campaign where the number one reason why the Democratic opponent was deemed to be unqualified for the job is that she had a private server with a few classified pieces of information on that server. We just got through that campaign, and now you're going to make David Petraeus, potentially Secretary of State, the same job Hillary Clinton held when she had that private server, when Petraeus was convicted of charges far, far worse than Hillary was ever accused of and never charged with. I mean, come on, people. And where's the, there, there's not a, any cry of hypocrisy at all from the right. Maybe a couple murmurs, but nobody has the balls. Nobody has the character of the principles anymore. And it couldn't be more obvious. It's almost like Trump is punking us, folks.
Welcome back. My name is John Ziegler. You're listening to the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Funny how it works out that way. If you go to freespeechbroadcasting.com, you can check out all my columns. I write about three or four a week for the media criticism website, Mediate, run by Dan Abrams of ABC News. I urge you to go there and check out the column that I wrote that I'm going to briefly discuss right now about how living in the era of Trump has altered my view of how to handle my four-year-old daughter, Grace, when it comes to her not telling the truth. For those who have never heard Grace on this program before, she's come on a couple times. We're planning on having her on again before Christmas. She's the one who asked the existential question of this entire program about Donald Trump the last time she was on, just before her fourth birthday, when she said, Is Trump a bad guy or a good guy? That's right. Is Trump a good guy or a bad guy? Is Trump a bad guy or a good guy? I I mixed it up, but you get the point. Great question by Grace. I'm now convinced he's more of a bad guy than a good guy, but he's got to work. Because if he doesn't work, the country is in a whole heap load of trouble. So we put all of our eggs in the basket of a, of a mostly bad guy who's also not qualified. So good luck to all of us. But with regard to what I wrote in the column and what I think is relevant to you, the listener, at least I think it is, I'm somebody who grew up believing that the truth was paramount. Doesn't mean I have been perfect in that. I haven't always been 100% telling the truth, but I would I would venture to guess that in comparison to most people, I'm in the high 90s, maybe very high 90s. I've actually had a former boss testify at a civil trial, which I won, that I was pathologically unable to tell a lie. Basically, it's just not in my DNA because my... My mother made me that way. Now, I, I think every day about whether or not she was right to do that. My life would have been far easier if she had not drilled it into me to always tell the truth and to believe that truth and principle and character matter. If she hadn't done that, I think my life would have been probably more successful and a lot less painful. Not blaming her for that. But unfortunately, I think the world was shifting and she didn't realize it. And it's now completely done a 180. And now as a dad to Grace and about to be a dad to a second daughter, I have to make some decisions about, okay, am I going to do the same thing that my mother did with regard to the value placed on the truth? And a couple of things happened recently, which really brought this home to roost. I mean, now that she's four and a half, she's starting to get it, right? Started to understand better right from wrong. She knows what a lie is. And you're starting to be able to hold her at least somewhat accountable for her decisions. So there were two situations, both of which were really rather cute, but both of which brought this issue really to the forefront, hit me between the eyes. The first occurred when about a month or so ago, I was going from California to Pennsylvania 
for a hearing in the so-called Penn State scandal, which I've been covering for years and which is a complete fraud and not what the media told you. And if you're interested in that, go to my website, framingpaterno.com. I urge you to do so because it's the most amazing story that will never be widely told, and it's not a conspiracy. I'm the only non-conspiracy person in the whole story. Anyway, as I was going back to Pennsylvania, Grace has already learned enough about the story to know that the bad guys, you know, being a four-year-old, she's obsessed with good guys and bad guys. Is Trump a bad guy or a good guy? Yeah. Well, in Pennsylvania, she knows that's where the bad guys are. And that daddy goes back there to go get the bad guys. Well, daddy has not been doing a very good job this year of getting the bad guys at all. The bad guys have been getting daddy. Way more than daddy's been getting the bad guys, that's for sure. Anyway, because I was going back to get the bad guys, she presented me with a shiny pink rock and said, Daddy, this rock is magic. It'll help you fight off the bad guys. And then she even gave me some magic words to go along with the magic rock to fight off the bad guys. And I thought, oh, that's super cute. And, you know, I took it with me. I even took a photo of it uh, while I was getting ready to take off. I posted it on Twitter and Facebook. Everyone loved it, loved the story behind it. Isn't that adorable? Fantastic. So Daddy gets home after getting his ass kicked once again by the bad guys because the bad guys are always winning in this story. Bad guys are winning in all sorts of stories, in my view, but that's another story for another day. And I mentioned to Grace, oh, I, I'm, I'm forgetting a part of the story. So while I was in Pennsylvania, someone who saw me posted on Facebook gave me another rock to give to Grace, which was nice and cute. So I come back home. I give her the rock that someone in Pennsylvania gave me. I said, someone wants you to have a magic rock. The next day she's playing with it. And I make reference to it being a magic rock. And Grace says to me, Daddy, the rock's not really magic. That was just a story. I said, oh, so you didn't tell me the truth when you told me that the rock was magic? She said, no. And then she <laughs> then she goes on to not only divulge that the rock's not really magic, as if that was a shock to me, but she also <laughs> reveals the way that she got the rock. She had stolen it from the gift shop at Yosemite National Park, <laughs> which we did not know. I think my wife had suspected it because it was a pretty nice shiny rock. But that was interesting. And of course, I, I laughed. And, you know, that's not the worst lie that's ever happened, although she did steal. And, you know... I was trying to figure out, okay, how do I handle that? Well, similarly, another very cute situation that raised a very important set of circumstances that as a dad I needed to figure out how to deal with in this new era, this post-truth, post-Trump era that we're living in now. So Grace has not been very good this year. A lot of four-year-olds aren't. I don't know what to compare it to because I've never been the dad of a four-year-old before. But... The reality is Grace has been a pain in the ass for a lot of this year. Been a lot of good moments, but she has not behaved herself. Well, now we're into December, right? We're post-Thanksgiving. She views Thanksgiving as, as a basically a hurdle to get to the good stuff, which is Christmas, which I presume is not unusual for a four-year-old. But the specter of what Santa's going to do with his good list and his bad list 
is starting to really become very serious to her. Has not been a serious concept for most of the year when we've alluded to it. But now, I think now that we're getting to final exam time, she's starting to get a little worried because I think she knows she hasn't been very good. So the issue of the list comes up, and my wife and I are both with her, and Grace decides, somewhat ingeniously and very nefariously, she decides that she has a plan to deal with this problem of whether she's going to be on the good list or the bad list. And she starts to whisper the plan in my ear, which, of course, is a pretty good indication that she views me as the easier mark in our family in comparison to my wife because she could have whispered this plan into my wife's ear, and she didn't do that. So she whispers into my ear, Daddy, could you tell Santa that I've been on the good list, not the bad list? Now, I had to keep from laughing because that's hilarious, right? She's telling me to lie to Santa. She's, con- she's con- basically created this conspiracy. She- so here's the plan, Dad. I haven't been that good, but why don't you tell Santa I've been good? That way I'll get on the good list. Now, she didn't offer me a payoff. But it was pretty clear what she was looking to do. Now, putting aside the fact that both these stories are cute, how do you deal with them as a dad? Now, my instincts as a dad would have been, based upon how I grew up, to berate her, castigate her, scold her, make it very clear that in both cases she had lied. In one case, she had stolen in the second case, she's conspiracy. She's creating a conspiracy to lie to Santa of all people, and that this is not good. This is not right. Now, what I struggled with is, I no longer believe, based upon the way the world currently is, that anything that she did there, while it might not be morally upright, is going to be a negative for her living a successful and happy life. In fact, if I think about how Donald Trump would respond to either of those situations, I think Trump would have been ecstatic if one of his daughters responded to either of those situations in that way. No harm, no foul. They were both good lies. They both had an end. They both, you know, are situations where you're trying to make the best out of a bad set of circumstances. They both involve some ingenuity. Good job. I could hear Trump telling my daughter. And frankly, it's kind of hard to argue that in this day and age that that might not be the better way to go. That teaching your kids that lying is absolutely terribly wrong may no longer have its place because you're teaching your kid a moral code that nobody else is adhering to. And because no one else is adhering to it, you're putting them at a disadvantage. I'm not just talking about like a, you know, 
Gordon Gecko, <laughs> greed is good, survival of the fittest sort of way, although that's an element of it. I'm talking about what the basic rules for living are. And the basic rules for living now are that lying is not only accepted, it's often preferred. And I despise that, but that's the reality. That's the way the world really is. Now, I wish somebody had given me the, the rules the way that they are a lot sooner in my life. It's too late for me. I'm almost 50 years old. My career is shot. My life is basically shot, other than being a dad. I lived, I played this game for far too long, believing in a set of rules that were never really in existence and certainly aren't now. So why would I bring my daughter up to play by a set of rules that for sure aren't in existence and will hinder her? Now, that's not to say I'm going to teach her to lie, but... The reality is, I took a pretty nonplussed view of this. I didn't tell her I was going to lie on her behalf to Santa. I said, hey, why don't we do it a better way? Why don't you just be good between now and Christmas and trying to get on the good list and go in that direction? But I did not scold her for trying to create a conspiracy to lie to Santa. Nor did I scold her for stealing the magic rock that turned out not to be magic. I, I take no joy in this conclusion. I, this saddens me. But to me, this is the only conclusion I can come to. That to prepare my daughters for a, a life that's fulfilling and has at least the least amount of pain as possible and the greatest amount of chance for success as possible, I got to teach them based upon what the rules are. And the rules currently are, especially in the era of Trump, the truth does not matter. Lying is not a hindrance. Lying can be a weapon. And you might as well learn to use it properly. Sad but true. Final segment coming up next. This is the final segment of this edition of the John Ziegler Show here on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com, where in about a half hour you can check out the podcast for the last three hours of this program. Hopefully you'll do so. There were some good moments over the last uh, two hours and 50 minutes. Last story I want to discuss tonight is the big story internationally, which is that Italy has rejected a referendum that had been put forward by the prime minister there, Matteo Renzi, in dramatic fashion, such dramatic fashion that Renzi, who was a media darling, at least in this country, 60 Minutes today, rather large feature on him, I guess it was two weeks ago tonight, because of this upcoming referendum, Renzi has decided to resign as prime minister of Italy which is something that doesn't happen nearly enough in this country that still happens in Great Britain and in Europe. When people screw up, they put it on the line, they lose, they resign, which is the way it should be. And what's interesting about what Renzi was trying to do is basically he was trying to go back to our old system of the Senate, 
which is to reduce it to 100 members and have those members be appointed rather than elected. People don't realize, because people don't know their civics, I doubt even Trump knows this, that it wasn't that long ago that U.S. senators were not elected in this country. They were appointed by state legislatures, which probably was a pretty good idea. But that's long, long since gone. And now Renzi is gone because that referendum died badly, which means that Italy will continue to have almost one new government per year since World War II. They're just short of one per year, which is amazing when you consider the fact that Rome was basically the birthplace of modern Western civilization, modern meaning meaning obviously being a relative term. Italy is a weird place. I loved visiting there. I had one of my best vacations ever with my wife a few years ago. The thing, though, that I found that was most amazing and in some ways tells you the most about Italy is my was my search for the spot where Julius Caesar was assassinated. Now, it's interesting because like Renzi's referendum that died tonight in Italy, that also directly dealt with the Italian Senate. Interestingly, though, Julius Caesar was not assassinated where the Senate, the ruins of the Senate in Rome are known to be because at the time that that event took place, the Senate, I guess, was being refurbished, for lack of a better term, and they were in a temporary facility downtown, I guess, for, again, lack of a better term. Now, you would think, considering what Dealey Plaza is to America, I mean, everybody knows where Dealey Plaza is in Dallas, Texas, where John F. Kennedy was assassinated by Lee Harvey Oswald in 1963. When you consider the magnitude of Julius Caesar's assassination, not just to Italy, but to the entire world. It's one of the most important events in the history of man. You would think it would be pretty easy to find where that spot was, right? Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. I spent quite a while trying to find this place. And in fact, when I found it, I still thought there's no way this could possibly be where Julius Caesar was assassinated because where it is, it looks like, you know, the excavated excavated remains of ruins from, you know, a couple thousand years ago. That all makes sense, except there's no marker. You're just basically looking down into a hole and there's the outlines of all these old rooms or stone buildings, or I guess this is where the Senate once was or temporarily was in Rome. But here's the really bizarre part. So when you look on the side of the wall for a description of what you're looking at, there's one line, one line that says, oh yeah, by over here in this little corner, that's where Julius Caesar was assassinated. Not only is there no marker, it gets even more bizarre. Guess what's there? A whole bunch of trash. Why is there trash in literally the exact spot where Caesar was allegedly assassinated? Because the entire place has been turned into, and I'm not making this up, a cat sanctuary. It is a sanctuary for lost cats. 
that's these these lost cats are living on the exact spot where Caesar was assassinated. And you wonder why Italy can't form a government. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the John Sickler Show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. Our podcast will be up shortly at www.freespeechbroadcasting.com. Until next time, so long. Have a good week, everybody.